Welcome to the Rodcast. I'm your host, Dr. Rod. So my guest today is Rob Beaglehall. He's a dentist and public health specialist. He's trained in New Zealand and the UK. He works as a public health advocate in Nelson Marlborough District Health Board uh, and is a spokesperson for the New Zealand Dental Association. Uh, Rob has worked as a political advisor to the Ministry of Health and has also worked uh, internationally for uh, the World Health Organization and the World Dental Federation uh, in things like oral health, tobacco control, and sugar consumption. Rob, welcome to the Rodcast. Oh, good one. Nice one, Rod. Happy to be here with you. Yeah, so it's it's been a while since we, um, we've, we've caught up. Uh, I think the last time we we were at a, the a WHO Global Coordinating Mechanism in, in Mauritius, no? I mean, it seems like a lifetime ago. Yeah. 2016, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, you still look the same, though. Oh, come on. Yeah, that's, <laughs> I know that's not true. <laughs> but, um, yeah, so that was, that was a real... That was a funny one for me because we... I mean, WHO, you know... I don't know if they still do it, but they used to have those events where they'd bring in a bunch of people working in non-communicable diseases, and um, and it was a big audience, and so obviously you didn't you don't know everyone, and I remember seeing the list of uh, attendees, and I remember seeing your name, and we hadn't met, but I mean your your mom and dad are are public health royalty, uh, yeah. as I always say. And um, so you have you share the same name as as your dad. So I I thought your dad was was joining, and I thought well, I thought he was retired. Yeah, <laughs> and yeah. so and he's still uh, going strong in tobacco control. Oh, that's great! And yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah I'd love to hear about that. But uh, but then um, so I was I was looking for him, and then you popped up and and you mentioned your name, and I thought oh that that's a different Rob, <laughs> and so yeah. that's how we sort of first first met. But um, but yeah, and then we got we started talking, and and I mean you've done so many interesting things, um, uh, and I'm sure you you're doing more stuff now. Maybe maybe just um, tell us a little bit about what you're you're working on today. Well, I think um, there's there's quite a lot of things I'm working on in terms of the uh, sugar control consumption side of things. Uh, we've also done quite a bit of water fluoridation here in New Zealand. Just recently we were successful at getting um, some legislation passed that would mean a bit more widespread water fluoridation, which reduces tooth decay by, in kids by about 40%. So it's, it's quite interesting. Um, personally, I would always rather focus on the sugar end because without sugar, you know, you don't have tooth decay. Without sugar, you don't you know generally don't become obese, and without sugar, you generally don't get type two diabetes. So we know that sugar is that common risk factor for all these these diseases that's playing havoc, causing carnage in New Zealand and elsewhere. I mean, you're in England, you know. There's a third of the population are either overweight or obese, mm. and you know these obesity rates have have skyrocketed. You know, when I was born back in the early seventies, you know it's gone up about three hundred to four hundred percent. Wow. in terms of the levels so it's it's all happening and um i mean i i, I saw that uh yeah as you were mentioning recently there there's a new legislation passed i mean new zealand seems to 
breed uh, world-famous public health experts, uh, <laughs> including Ashley Bloomfield, um, who I saw yes. he's, you know, he, he, he really worked hard to get that legislation passed. He did, he did, um, he's a great guy. Yeah, so for those who, yeah. who um, might not recognize the name, he's another uh, Kiwi public health, global health legend uh, who worked many years at WHO and was sort of the, the monumental person in, in developing sort of the public-private partnership and, you know, a, a lot of the, the inner workings behind the NCD sort of movement and then um, went back home to, to New Zealand. Um, but... Um, and but you led the, the pandemic response in New Zealand. Yeah, and, and I mean, how, how did that have an impact on, I guess, uh, sort of, you know, the, the NCD risk factors? And, well, and you know, as you can expect, people at home spend more time watching TV, Netflix, um, less exercise. But also the biggest change is uh, diet. You know, junk food consumption went skyrocketed. Alcohol consumption, you know, online sales of alcohol, you know, appalling situation. Um, you know, we really need to clamp down and address the commercial determinants of ill health. So the commercial determinants, obviously, are, is the industries that are, you know, creating this, this environment that is so unhealthy, whether it's tobacco, alcohol, or um, junk food, sugar. Mm. So, you know, what we like to say is we, we need to treat the, the sugary drink and the junk food industries just like the tobacco industry and just like the alcohol industry. You know, there's no role for them um, really in, in advertising to our sports stars, for example. Um, you know, sugary drinks cause carnage to young kids' teeth and contribute to obesity and diabetes. So it doesn't make any sense, you know, our sports stars being sponsored by the uh, sugary drink industry. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree. And, um, and you made uh, massive waves and uh, headlines everywhere um, with... Um, I think one of my favorite stories that, that I always always tell around how you really pushed um, the hospital to you know get get rid of um, you know those those vending machines, but but maybe tell us uh, sort of that, that story because I, I think it's it's a great one on 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 why you realized what was going on and, and what you yeah. what you did about yeah. it. Yeah, sure, Rod. Well, you know, I I, I kind of. You know, like to say um, that I, I specialised in brutalising young children by <laughs> removing their teeth. You know, thousands and thousands, tens of thousands of teeth over, you know, 25 years. Many in hospitals. And many of those kids had general anaesthetics, you know, where they get put to sleep, brutal, you know, teeth extraction, sewn up and then out, out the door. Next one in, you know, horrible. All pre totally preventable. preventable. So... You know, one day I remember, you know, running a general anaesthetic theatre list, I was pulling out so many teeth. I'd actually pulled out 54 in one morning, I remember. Wow. Uh, I was up in the dental department tea room, resting my hand with ice, I remember, because it was so sore because I'd pulled out so many teeth. And I looked out the window and I could not believe it. I saw a bloody Coca-Cola truck, you know, <laughs> delivering this sickness to a hospital. You know, it doesn't make any sense to sell sickness to kids or sickness to anybody in the form of sugary drinks. So the first thing was, right, I went straight to our chief executive and said, look, this is crazy. I've just been pulling out all these teeth today, billing you tens of thousands of dollars, and uh, we need, you need to make a stand. We, need, we cannot 
the hospital cannot sell sugary drinks and thus tooth decay, obesity and diabetes. So he was an accountant and he got it. He you know, realised it was saving him money and he was wanted to be a leader. So he you know, implemented the policy a month later and it turns out that we're the first hospital in New Zealand to get rid of sugary drinks. Actually, it turned out we were the first hospital in the world to wow. do it, which I think is quite fascinating. Um, it's sort of a sad indictment, but there's so much more to do. And, you know, encourage everybody out there, listeners and uh, your colleagues, Rod, to, to just think about that, the space that we're all living in, whether it's schools, hospitals, you know, community centres. Sh- there shouldn't be vending machines, you know, selling sickness on tap, you know. And it's easy to modify those environments if people speak out, which I like to say is to, to advocate, advocate mm-hmm. for population strategies to reduce sugar consumption particularly sugary drinks and and since then have you seen sort of the the mindset uh of the status quo sort of changing in terms of people's attitudes towards towards that it's definitely changing you know and it's it's great to be part of that movement lots of other people organizations talking about it but good to 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 realize that you know just like tobacco it's it takes years and years to get things across the line you've got to raise the public's awareness you've got to you know, advocate to the government to enact braver public health policies. And this is what we need. We need leadership. We need government leadership. We need um, health leadership. Health leaders need to stand up and say, we've had enough. You know, why are, we, why are we patching up all these people, cutting off limbs, type 2 diabetes complications, dealing with blindness, type 2 diabetes complications, all these patients on dialysis machines, crazy way of treating type 2 diabetes. What we need to do is prevent it. And one of the most significant ways of preventing type 2 diabetes is, you know, weight reduction, but also sugary drink reduction strategies. You know, stop sugary drinks. It's amazing how much weight you can lose by just stopping your, you know, sugar intake. And whether it's, you know, your your listeners would also be be great to know that it's not just the sugary drinks that are, you know, problematic. It's also the artificially sweetened beverages, you know, the so-called Coke Zeros. And also, obviously, juices. Now, many people don't realise, but juices is really, you know, juices, you know, just as bad or worse than having, say, Coke. You know, I'd rather have a glass of Coke for breakfast than I would a glass of juice in terms of the amount of sugar. You know, often there's more sugar. Fruit fructose, which is actually worse than the sucrose, for your body developing and metabolising. So it's, you know, it's interesting. You know, you, you know ideally, we should just be drinking water, you know, tea, coffee, and, um, you know, milks, unflavored milks. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, could, I can proudly say as, as, a, as a Mexican that the Mexican government was, I think, probably the first to, to pass such an um, aggressive uh, tax on sugar-sweetened beverages. Yeah. But um, the, the process was so painstakingly long and politically it was it was a, a, a line you know a, a minefield um, I remember a friend of mine working in politics told me that um, you know a few days before they were going to vote in in sort of parliament uh, both big uh, soda companies you know were were scrumming together in hotels to try to come up with a strategy to derail it um and they still you know got it uh passed um after a while 
But um, yeah, I mean, what's what's the current situation in in New Zealand on in terms of legislation? Well, that's a very good question. You know, what we're after really is um, you know a sugary drink industry levy modelled on the UK example, where they had a um, you know tax that was um, tiered in terms of the the more sugar in the product, the more tax the industry paid. Um, what we also need is a you know, junk food restrictions, marketing, junk advertising restrictions, you know, particularly to kids. You know, our kids shouldn't be sponsored at or advertised at. Um, and then, of course, we would also need water-only schools. You know, it doesn't make any sense, sense again, for, sell, for schools and the tuck shops, you know, the, the lunch shops, to be selling sickness to kids in the form of sugary drinks. Mm. Um, I think, you know, we, we need to remember that the number one source of, of sugar in the in New Zealand diet, and I presume the UK diet, actually comes from sugary drinks. You know, yeah. it's a fascinating statistic. Um, so, but in terms of the legislation, we, we, we're, we're a little bit behind the eight ball, actually, in the uh, uh, junk food space. You know, we haven't even got a tax like um, Mexico leading the way or the UK or about 30 or 40 other countries. So it's a bit embarrassing, actually. <laughs> New Zealand, because often, you know, for tobacco control, we were way ahead, and, yeah. and we, we, we are now, we're just, just in the midst of enacting a, a new world-breaking legislation called the Smoke-Free 2025 you know, uh, Action Plan, which is to reduce smoking by 2025 to less than 5%, um, wow. which is, will be the, one of the lowest in the world. And so that's only two years away. Yeah, and, and is that on track? Um, it's on track for, you know, white, you know, Pākehā, you know, Europeans, yes, but not on track for Māori or Māori men or Māori women in particular. You know, there's huge inequalities between, uh, Pacific, you know, Pacifica Māori, but also between the haves and have-nots in terms of, you know, income right across the um, ethnicities. So it's, you know, it's a poverty issue, obviously, just a bit like obesity and type 2 diabetes. And you could say tooth decay. We know, we know that the less, you know, the lower your income, uh, the more likely you are to have rotten teeth and, you know, not, not um, you know, to be more obese and have type 2 diabetes. Yeah. And that's, you know, that's, a, that's, not, a, that's not the victim-blaming approach. What that is is what we need to think is it's, it's a, um, it's, we need to modify the environment that we live in and we need government leadership urgently. Yeah. No, modify absolutely. that environment. Absolutely agree. And um, speaking of, of uh, leadership... Um, another story I, I, I really remember fondly, um, we share, uh, probably a few, uh, friends in common, in, including, uh, Timo who works at, at WHO nice. and, yeah. um, he works in the NCD department and I remember you telling me about, and, and him, uh, telling me on the great work you did at WHO in in sort of you know pushing them to <laughs> to yeah. walk the walk the talk, walk the talk. yeah t- tell us a little bit more about that yeah so that happened so back in back in 2016 I was at WHO I was on a secondment from uh, my job here in New Zealand so four months um, living in uh, Geneva working at WHO the headquarters and I, I reported to Timo in the NCD um, department. Um, and I remember fondly this turning up and saying, um, you know, going down to the cafe and seeing, you know, them selling, having for sale sugary drinks at the World Health Organization. <laughs> it's like, what? You know, obesity, diabetes, you know, bringing the government worlds to the needs, 150 million 
type 2 diabetics in China and 100 million in India, whatever the numbers are, horrendous numbers. Um, and anyway, so I went to my boss and said, oh, do you think, um, do you think we could uh, work on a policy to where we could get rid of sugar, you know, have a policy on sugary drinks, you know, removal of sugary drinks? At the headquarters, he looked at me and said, you mad, there's no way you'd ever get that done when, you know, when Switzerland. And I said, well, we did it in New Zealand, you know, you know, it's possible, you just need to advocate for it and show some leadership and, and engage with the unions and talk to people about dialogue. And he said, he said, nah, and I said, I said, um, he said, it'd be impossible. And I said, oh, well, maybe it might be impossible, but let me give it a go anyway. <laughs> and he said, Okay. I said sure so I got to work on many other things as well and just did the groundwork built the allies worked out the systems worked out how to navigate the system um, you know the door openers you know the, the opportunistic meetings with people high up in, this, in the organisation um, getting the advisors to um, Margaret Chan on board lining everyone up talking to the unions uh, the staff union you know all that sort of stuff getting comms sorted out and then getting it through. Yeah. So, you know, miraculous. But um, I think what it showed was it showed that, you know, just because someone says it's difficult doesn't mean you can't do it. Yeah. Or at least you can't attempt to do it. And and I, I, um, I, I love using that story because it, um, it really highlights the, the groundwork needed to make that change. So you mentioned, you know, talking to the unions, uh, talking to different, you know, representatives and stakeholders, and and I think that's that's such an important, you know, part is is to get as many people as possible, you know, to to really first understand, and then and then they, you know, can become the, the advocates, which as as you know, is isn't the easiest many times. Exactly. Yeah. But just going back to sort of, you know, New, New Zealand, I, I know that um, in terms of sort of uh, overweight and obesity, New Zealand um, used to rank, I think, around like third uh, third, of the Third, yeah, OECD. third most obese nation in OECD. Yeah, I mean, that must... Um, Second for kids. Oh, wow. That, it's embarrassing. That, yeah. that must really ring some alarm bells. Yeah. Totally and utterly. And when I last spoke to the Minister of Health in New Zealand, he he started off the meeting embarrassingly enough by saying, um, "You know, we don't have a, a plan to reduce obesity in New Zealand." Mm. You know, he acknowledged it, and you know, hats off. You know, he realises it's important, but we just, you know, need to get the machinations of government to come up with an action plan, a strategy that will have meaningful impact and reduce obesity in New Zealand across the, you know, across the board. Obesity, and in particular type 2 diabetes, will bring our health system to its knees within a relatively short time. Mm. You know, it's, it's because the sugary drink consumption has just skyrocketed all, all around the world. You know, Mexico is a classic example. I think your, your ex-nation nation is the number one obesity in the world, and then the Americans are second, and then we're third. Yeah. Yeah, no. But hats off to the Mexican government, you know, showing leadership, looking at the science, looking at the evidence, working out what, what the right thing to do. And the right thing to do is to take on the commercial determinants of ill health. And no, I absolutely agree. And, and speaking of those commercial determinants, um, your Prime Minister Jacinda Ardern was, was in the UK not, not too long ago uh, at Chatham House. 
and um, off the back of a a piece of uh, legislation, you know, uh, she signed with a trade agreement with with the UK. Mm. Um, do you think there's a, a place in sort of you know trade uh, for some legislation around and safeguards around doing something for you know obesity, sugar sweetened beverages? Yeah, well, you know, generally, you know, even if you speak to exercise physiologists, they'll say that, you know, overweight and obesity is 80% diet, only about 20% max exercise. So, you know, these, these eight, this 80%, um, uh, you know, the risk factor of, of being overweight is, is nutrition. So, so how, how do you tackle it? And you tackle it, you know, multi-level layers and, you know, intergovernment conversations between the UK and New Zealand, that free trade agreement, could try and stipulate, you know, the limit, limiting the flow of unhealthy commodities, you know, unhealthy food. You know, and you could also say milk, you know, that cow's milk. Um, you could say red meat. You know, New Zealand is, a, is a, one of the largest exporters of saturated fat in the world. Mm. All our milk, milk powder to China, red meat to everywhere. Yeah. Wow. Um, but, yeah, it's, it gets awkward when you start looking at the big trade deals. But um, I think the main thing we need to do as a population, as a society, and as nations, is to dramatically reduce the amount of sugar that our populations are consuming. You know, upwards of 30 to 40 teaspoons per person per day in some Western nations. Yeah. Unfortunately, you know, India, China, and others are catching up with us. They're following our trajectory, which is, you know, more sugar, more junk food, more obesity, diabetes, and tooth decay. Yeah, I remember reading a few years after a few trade agreements between New Zealand, Australia with the Pacific Islands, you could literally count uh, year on year the impacts on obesity and overweight um, because, you know, they were now having access to, you know, all these sugar sweetened beverages in the Pacific Islands that they, you know, they'd never been exposed to. Um, before, so I always find it quite interesting how you can see the immediate impacts of, of free trade on health uh, beyond you know economics. So we we saw it in Mexico, you know, with with NAFTA, mm. the free trade mm. agreement between Canada, the U.S. and Mexico. Mm. It was a complete shift in you know in in, uh, in health behaviors after that because we were getting a bunch of food we we didn't have access to you know before. So uh, I always That's find right. that. And you guys, you know, being so isolated uh, in terms of geography, I imagine there's a lot of, you know, trade going on there. Yeah, there is. You know, we, we send out a lot of um, saturated fat and we import lots of junk food. <laughs> oh. yeah. yeah, I mean, I, I'm, I'm personally, I'm into a whole food, plant-based diet sort of thing. Um, I mainly do that, although I do have a couple of eggs every day just to keep my protein levels up. But I've cut out everything else. I feel, I feel good. I feel good for good for the health, good for you know environment, sustainability, planet, survival, all that. And have you felt sort of a, a, a change in in your you know your, your how you feel, your physical health? Well, yeah, health? good question. Yeah, particularly after cutting out dairy, I felt just a little bit lighter. You know, a little bit less lethargic. And maybe it was a placebo effect. I don't know, but that's what I felt. So okay, who knows. You do all this great work with all these public health associations on getting the message across risk to, to non-communicable diseases like sugar-sweetened beverages and, and the rest. How do you implement that at home? Uh, are you as as uh, <laughs> as, as successful? <laughs> Classic. 
Yeah, my, yeah, my, my wife would laugh at that because often in the morning, you know, I'm, I'm going to the, the packet of the cereal and I'm looking at the back and going, oh my God, you know, this has got, you know, five teaspoons of sugar in it. <laughs> kids, kids have had enough. Um, but yeah, I'm probably a bit, bit of a sugar sort of fundamentalist. I, I, yeah, yeah. Um, although we do, you know, we do have ice cream, we do have yogurt, we do have jam, we've got honey, you know. Well, I'm not a fundamentalist, yeah. you know. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I did, I did a great experiment once when um, this new cereal came out. I think it was, it, well, it was called Kellogg's, you know, Nutrigrain. It had four stars, health stars, you know, this, this thing that the industry and the Ministry of Health have come up with, which is about how many health stars does it have in terms of its healthiness or unhealthiness. Anything under three and a half is classified as junk food. Anyway, this had four, or maybe maybe had four and a half, or maybe it was five. It was a lot of stars. I was like, wow, that must be healthy. You know, I bought it. look at the back of the pack, pack full of sugar. Really? Maybe a quarter sugar, 25 sugar. But it got so many stars because it had riboflavin, vitamins, and a few other things. Right. But really, it was just sugar and, you know, wheat. Anyway, so I bought it home, and then I... And I um, 24% sugar and then I went to the fridge and I bought out the vanilla ice cream and I put it in front of my kids who were probably you know six and eight maybe six and nine and said and I said oh guys here's some ice cream or some breakfast cereal what, what do you guys want and I said they said oh sugar uh, we want not sugar sorry we want ice cream dad <laughs> we want ice cream dad <laughs> it's like sure boys so they had they got a you know a couple of big scoops of ice cream and that's what they had for breakfast and you know the funny thing Rod is that there was less sugar in the ice cream than there was in the breakfast cereal. Really? Wow. Yeah, the breakfast cereal was, you know, 24 or was even 27% sugar. The, 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 the sugar in the ice cream was um, 20, maybe 21. So no, less, significantly less. And, and five of those, four to five of those um, grams of sugar actually comes from milk, which is, a, you know, non-milk extrinsic, which is a milk extrinsic sugar, which obviously won't rot your teeth. I mean, there's always other issues about milk itself but what I'm saying is that the breakfast cereal was so much sweeter so way better for my kids to have ice cream for breakfast than um, you know breakfast cereal wow. way more protein too that's unbelievable madness yeah I don't madness. think people realise how how uh, much sugar certain products have like you know if you look at ketchup for instance it has yeah. loads of, of sugar in it it does 25 to 30 percent but you know we really need to focus in on the sugary drinks in particular thin edge of the wedge mm. low-hanging fruit example because it's the number one source of sugar it's empty calories it just pounds your teeth hammers your teeth um and it's a really good way of putting on weight rapidly yeah yeah, yeah. no absolutely agree Rob, I know it's Friday. I know you uh, have dinner plans with, with the family. Yeah. Um, I don't want to keep you too long. That's fine. But it's um, fine. I just want to ask you one, one last question. If, if there is one thing that you've found personally that's made a, an impact on your mental or physical health uh, that you would want to shine the, the spotlight on, it, it can be anything, you know, a book you read, a a uh, new, you know, practice, a new habit, uh, yeah. you know, whatever, yeah. what, what, an app, you know, anything, what, what's the one thing you would, you would say has really made an impact on, on your health in, in the last couple of years? Well, so many things, but if I think about something more recently, quite a big impact, big impact was reading the book um, by Oliver Berkman called 4,000 Weeks. 
Okay. Um, I heard it on a podcast with Sam Harris, amazing book. Well, it was for me, you know, quite profound in terms of just highlighting that, you know, on average we have 4,000 weeks, i.e. about 80 years, you know, around the world. I mean, maybe, you know, I just turned 50. Maybe I might get, you know, 85 or whatever it is. But, you know, let's just say I've had, well, I know I've had, because I'm 50, I've had 2,500 weeks which in theory I've got, you know, maybe 1,500, maybe a bit more, or of course I could get run over by a bus tomorrow. So it kind of made me realise, wow, it's a very short period of time. You know, what do I want to do with my life? You know, how do I want to be? What do I want to achieve? How do I want to sort of act in the world? So it was quite profound. Oh, that's a good one. I highly recommend it. I'll add it to to the Amazon list. list. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, uh, hey, it's it's been uh, way too long. We should uh, do it more often. But uh, I just want to thank you again, Robert. It's it's been uh, a pleasure as as always. Sure. Always good to talk. Um, It's been a long time and hopefully I'll see you in London at some stage. Yeah, absolutely. Or uh, in New Zealand. Oh, New Zealand. Yeah. It's a beautiful country. (laughs) Yeah. One of my favorites. Well, um, that, that was great. Thanks, thanks, Rob. Hey, thanks for listening, folks. If you enjoyed that, please hit subscribe, like, and share. See you next time.